And I, I love going back to the gospel, Gospels because here we directly meet with Jesus, the object of our faith. Uh, for any of us here this evening who wouldn't yet call ourselves uh, Christians, first can I say, look, it's great to have you with us. But then uh, second, please do realize that Christianity is all about Jesus. It's not about being religious. It's not about adopting a Christian subculture. It is about believing, trusting, and following Jesus. It's all about him. And so I'm going to pray now and ask God to be at work in us by his Holy Spirit so that we might all see Jesus more clearly. So let's pray. Father God, for many of us here, this uh, passage in Mark's Gospel is a familiar one. But please so work in us by your Spirit that we may see Jesus for who he is. And so that we might truly trust in him, whatever life throws at us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd always uh, kind of thought of myself as a reasonably emotionally robust person. I survived going to boarding school from the age of seven, packed off there. Parents were in Nigeria and I was uh, uh, packed off to a little uh, prep school in the south coast. I came with that. And I suppose, uh, despite experiencing my fair share of tough and painful situations uh, in a number of many years uh, of ordained ministry, I, I never actually suffered from poor mental health. At times, I've been right to the edge of my sort of physical and emotional capacity, capacity but I never could be tipped over the edge. But not too long ago, something happened that absolutely floored me. I was uh, crippled by anxiety. I'd wake up in the middle of the night to find my heart thumping. Bang, 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 bang. And then that was it. My, my mind was just absorbed by the crisis I was in. Dread overwhelmed me. I would kind of stagger through the day before the nighttime cycle of waking early with my heart beating herald the dawn of a new day of conflict. I eventually had to go to the doctor who prescribed some beta blockers to get my heartbeat under control and some sleeping tablets to help me get more than three hours sleep. (laughs) Now, looking back to that time, I wish I'd had to prepare a sermon on Mark chapter 4 then. Because I think it would have done me the world of good. Let me remind us of where we've got to so far in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Mark is teaching us the good news about Jesus. That's what uh, it is. He's introduced introduced us to Jesus in his first verse. The good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And in chapter 1, Jesus bursts on the scene proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. It has come near because Jesus the King has come to bring it to pass. And Jesus, like John the Baptist before him, calls on people to respond appropriately to repent and to believe the good news of the kingdom. But not only that, not only has he been preaching, he's also been miraculously healing and delivering people. And this hasn't gone unnoticed. So an official delegation was sent from Jerusalem to check Jesus out. 
And their verdict is, he is possessed by the devil. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, has come to do good and to save life, but blinded by self-righteousness and their traditions, these Jewish leaders reject the Messiah. So Jesus reconstitutes the people of God by appointing 12 apostles whom he will later send out to preach in his name. No longer will God's, pe- God's chosen people be determined by descent from the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, Israel. No, whether you're a part of God's family depends on you trusting Jesus and obeying the teaching of his apostles. And then in the first part of Mark chapter 4, we get these kind of wonderful parables of Jesus about seed, which speak of the power of God's word to, to grow God's kingdom. So that's where we got to. And what we have in our passage this evening is the first of four accounts which demonstrate Jesus' absolute power over things that we human beings can't control and are afraid of. So Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has arrived and he reveals not only who he is, but also what he's come to do. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the evil one. Jesus has come to reverse the effects of the fall. Jesus has come to establish God's perfect rule. And so in our passage this evening, we see Jesus' power to control and subdue the forces of nature. And then in uh, chapter 5, which we'll be looking at uh, uh, next week, we see Jesus' power over evil. And then later on in the chapter, over disease. And then finally, over death. The forces of nature, the force of evil, sickness, death. Four things we can't control. Four things are actually we're frightened of. And what we're going to do is to go through the passage twice, the short passage twice. The first time we're going to focus on Jesus' limitless power. And then the second time we're going to focus on Jesus' limitless love. So first, Jesus' limitless power. And let's pick up the story in verse 35. So that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I wonder whether if you notice all the little incidental eyewitness details in those few verses. Jesus came just as he was. That was he didn't get changed. Uh, there were other boats with him. Jesus slept on a cushion in the stern. Uh, those such details they authenticate this account. Uh, in our generation, writers of fiction invent such details to give their stories a kind of real-to-life feel. But such literary techniques were unheard of in the ancient uh, world, in ancient literature and in legends. 
Uh, tradition has it that uh, Mark has based his gospel on the recollections of Peter. So what we have here is an authentic count of an eyewitness. And the details of that day were seared into the disciples' memories. This was a once-in-a-lifetime storm. Verse 37 says, literally, a mega storm of wind arose and the waves poured into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. Uh, These hardened fishermen, they they knew the, the sea and I imagine they could normally cope well with bad weather, but they were convinced they were going to drown. Let's try and put ourselves in that position. Imagine this scene of utter panic. The noise of the gale and the crashing waves literally filling the boat. And then look at verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Literally, mega calm. Just as the storm had been mega, so was the calm. So there are these fishermen battling for their life, absolutely terrified. They cry to Jesus, he sets up, just says a few words, and then suddenly it is completely quiet, no howling gale, and the sea is as flat as a mill pond, as far as the eye can see. And in that calm, Jesus turns to his disciples and say, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And at this point, we get the third mega in our story. So the storm has been described as mega. The calm has been described as mega. And now the fear is described as mega. Verse 41 literally says, They feared a mega fear and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So they were terrified by the storm. But when Jesus calmed the storm, they were even more terrified by him. They realized they were in the presence of someone with unlimited power and authority. Uh, when I was a, a, a child, breakfast cereals uh, would often have plastic toys in them as a, a marketing ploy. I think, for instance, one campaign had uh, plastic models of sports stars like the, kind of the great footballer Pele and uh, the boxer Muhammad Ali. So you'd pour out your cereal, hoping that this little plastic model, which bore some resemblance to the real person, would pop into a bowl of Rice Krispies or whatever it was. Well, friends, I suspect that very often our perception of Jesus is more like one of those little kind of plastic uh, imitations rather than the reality of Jesus himself. Just think of the wind and the sea. Uh, They are powers which, with all our technology, we cannot begin to control or contain. I can still remember vividly the the pictures of devastation caused by that uh, the Boxing Day tsunami 
in 2004. Absolutely, whole community just wiped out. Most years, don't we, we see neighborhoods in the U.S. literally flattened as a tornado cuts its path through the country. The most powerful nation in the world is helpless in the face of such an uh, onslaught. But not Jesus. In fact, with him, it's the other way around. The most violent and powerful forces of nature are helpless before him. He only has to utter a word and they immediately have to come to heal like an obedient dog. The disciples ask, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And there is only one possible answer and that he is, he is the almighty creator, the Lord of creation. The disciples thought of Jesus as a teacher. That's what they call him. But Jesus here shows that he is much, much more than that. He is God in human flesh. Before Mark 4 was read for us, we heard Psalm 93, which speaks of God's sovereignty and utter reliability. And what was the illustration the psalmist used to express God's majesty, his power from eternity, his laws and how everything was established by him. It was God's authority over the sea, which in Jewish thought was the the place of evil, unruly chaos. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. The Bible starts with God creating the universe with a word. Here Jesus speaks. And the world that was made through him recognizes his voice and obeys its creator. Now friends, if we are a Christian believer, we know all that in our head. But has that knowledge taken root in our hearts? Am I in awe of Jesus? Because if we could even glimpse Jesus' power, we would be terrified, just as the disciples were. When the Apostle John had his vision on, of the risen Jesus in the book of Revelation, what was his reaction? Did he fist pump him and say, hi, mate? <laughs> he didn't. We read, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I don't know about you, but far too often I am too casual and complacent in my walk with Jesus. I focus on the fact that he's my saviour, my elder brother, my friend. And yes, he is all that, wonderfully and gloriously. But first and foremost, 
Jesus is my Lord. I'm not to kind of wander into his presence in prayer with my hands in my pockets. Rather, I should prostrate myself before him and pay homage. He is worthy of my utmost respect and trust and obedience and honor. He is the Lord of creation and the source of all power. Well, I'm, I'm but dust, created dust. So for anyone to disregard Jesus, to try and patronize him, is the height of foolishness and arrogance. Jesus is the Lord of creation with limitless power. We should be in awe of him. But as we go through this story a second time, we're going to focus not on his limitless power, but on his limitless love. Okay, so back to the beginning. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now notice... It was Jesus who told them to head over to the other side. So here they are, these disciples, they're doing what Jesus asked them to do, and they found themselves in in a horrific storm, fearing for their lives. And friends, exactly the same thing can happen to us. We believe in Jesus, we seek to follow and obey him, And we find ourselves in one of life's storms. That's what happened to me when I was overcome with anxiety and dread. It's what has happened and will happen to many of us as we succumb to an illness or a loss of job or a broken relationship. When someone dies prematurely, when we see parents or children or friends making disastrous choices. Waves of anxiety and grief can overwhelm us. See, just as for the first disciples, following Jesus doesn't keep us from painful, scary crises. And as the disciples find themselves in this literal physical storm and panic, What was Jesus doing? Well, he was asleep in a cushion. And friends, sometimes it can seem that way to us. We're in a crisis, we cry out to God, but there seems to be no answer. It seems as if God is asleep. He doesn't appear to be doing anything. But as we follow the story, I think we'll get an insight into what God is often doing in those situations. So Jesus is asleep on a cushion. I, I don't know, but does that set you with a problem? I mean, here is a force 10 girl. And the, the boat is filling up with water. There's a howling noise everywhere. If you've been in a real st- storm, it'll be pitching all over the place. And he is asleep. I mean, even for the heaviest sleeper, That is ridiculous, isn't it? 
Jesus must have been aware of the storm, but in his sovereignty, he deliberately chose to sleep on. Don't quite understand it. But somehow, he did, we read, he said, but it was, that must have been a deliberate act to sleep on. Why? Well, I suspect Jesus wanted to test and develop their trust in him. Just as if you, as you go, if you go to an exercise class in a gym, uh, the trainer will increase the resistance or add a few extra reps to grow muscle. So Jesus allowed his disciples to stay in the storm to grow their faith. Look at verse 40. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I don't know about you, but at first hearing, Jesus' words seem a bit harsh, don't they? I mean, why are they afraid? Well, because of the violent storm and the fact they're going to drown, of course. But I think the key to understanding Jesus' questions is that little word, still. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, Peter had seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law from the fever. The disciples had seen countless hundreds of people healed in Capernaum of every imaginable disease. They had witnessed Jesus heal that, that paralyzed man. We read it back in chapter 3. And the man with a, a, a withered uh, hand in uh, Sorry, chapter 2, the paralytic, paralyzed man, chapter 2, and the man with the withered hand in chapter 3. They'd seen enough to trust Jesus, and that is why Jesus challenges them. Do you still have no faith? And I think that is why, if I'd had to prepare this sermon during my crisis, it would have done me a lot of good. <laughs> Because I would have heard Jesus gently challenging me. Will, are you going to trust me in this crisis? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so anxious? Do you not have enough faith in me? Now, if we're going to trust Jesus when we hit a painful crisis, we need to know two things, don't we? We need to know that he's all-powerful, that he's in control. And we have to know that he's loving. We have to know that he cares for us, that we matter. Well, we've seen Jesus' limitless power in the calming of the storm. I mean, whatever reasons Jesus has for allowing the storms in our lives is not because he isn't in control. That is for sure. He is the embodiment of all power. But that leads to the question about his love. Does he care? And notice actually that is the exact question the disciples asked in the boat. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What does Mark do in his gospel? He recounts Jesus' life and he spends the most of his gospel, this huge chunk on the last week from chapter 11 to the end, in where he's going to describe how Jesus deliberately 
chose to go to the cross for us. So that he might experience the full force of God's righteous and fearful uh, fearful judgment for sin so that we might never have to experience that horror. He perished on the cross so we might never perish. Jesus loves us that much. He deliberately chose to go to the cross for you and me. Friends, we can never avoid life storms. It's part and parcel of living in in a broken world as broken people. In John's Gospel, Jesus specifically told his disciples that. He told them, in this world you will have trouble. It's one of the promises of Jesus we often fail to remember. We hit a crisis and we think that something strange has hit us when in a sense it is perfectly normal. In this world, you will face trouble. We will all face trouble. Some of us more than others. Nobody gets through life in a broken world when we are broken people without pain and crises. But Jesus didn't just say to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. He went on to say, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, when we hit trouble, when we're in a crisis, we tend to fill our vision with the crisis. You see, that is the nature of crisis. They command our attention. The fear and anxiety and pain they generate easily fill every part of our being. But if we have heard and believed the gospel, if we are Christians, we can direct our thoughts, our vision, instead of the Jesus of the Bible. The one who can stop a false tangel with a word. The one who loves us so much that he went to the cross for us. The one who promised to be with us to the very end of the age. The one who has promised to give us grace sufficient for each day. The one who has promised to work in all things for the good of those who love him. And friends, isn't it the most wonderful and faith-inspiring thing when you see Christian people doing just that? Trevor Pierce was preaching uh, this morning and he spoke about a woman called Mary Thomas who did just that when her uh, husband uh, died, aged 42, uh, leaving her to bring up uh, three kids on her own. It had a huge impact on uh, Trevor as he saw um, uh, this woman's faith and trust. I can think of a couple uh one whose uh, five-year-old, uh, a five-year-old daughter was diagnosed with an aggressive sarcoma. And I can think of another woman whose husband abandoned her. And when after a number of years she remarried, her second husband contracted motor neurone disease. In both cases, there was much grief and tears. They had no idea why God allowed these tragedies to happen. 
But in both cases, they held on to Jesus' power and they held on to Jesus' love. And they were unable to know peace even in the storm. They were able to pray. They were able to plan calmly and wisely. They were able to love others. And they trusted that God was with them and was at work for good. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can I ask you, do you know him? (laughs) Are you personally trusting him? He is the Lord of all creation. He is God in human flesh. He now sits enthroned at God's right hand, but his spirit is with us and in us. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it might be for some of us here this evening, that gentle challenge is timely. We've been filling our minds with the the troubles and the the crises we face, rather than filling our vision with the one who has limitless power and limitless love. Let me close with a little ditty I was once taught, which is full of practical wisdom. For every one look within, take ten looks at him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please, by your Spirit, Help us to truly perceive your limitless power and love. And when fear and anxiety seek to overwhelm us, please give us the grace to fill our mind and vision with yourself. May a godly, healthy fear of you drive out all other fears. For we ask this, In your precious name. Amen.